I'd like to welcome you to the Jed Hughes Podcast. Each episode will feature a unique leader and will delve into the qualities that inspire greatness, galvanize organizations, and teach the next generation of aspiring leaders. Jed ran the process that resulted in the hiring of Pete Carroll, Jim Harbaugh, Andy Reid, Masai Uzuri. Now, according to Forbes, Jed is the most connected man in sports. My guest today has built a model on what makes for an outstanding friend, empathy, love, and compassion. Mike Warren has had a distinguished career on the basketball court, playing for the legendary John Wooden. He was the Bruins' only two-year captain, leading the team to two national championships and transitioning in, in the entertainment world where he and his show, Hill Street Blues, won a number of Emmys. Michael Warren, the actor, athlete, husband, and father, is our guest. Welcome, friends. My guest today, who happens not only to be my best friend, but has had some outstanding accomplishments in his life. My first question to him, is how he got from South Bend, Indiana to UCLA. How did I get from South Bend, Indiana to, to UCLA? The $64,000 question, which would have taken place back in 1964. Well, I was uh, trying to decide where I was going to go to college. I, I had a number of offers, and um, I was literally walking down my high school hall. I'd had a teacher whose name was Walt Kendi. He'd been my geometry teacher. And uh, he came out of his office and he said, uh, have you decided where you're going to go to college? And, and I said, no, not, not yet. Uh, I had taken a trip to Kansas, which was pretty interesting. And I was scheduled to take a f- private plane to Michigan. But I said, but no, I've never heard from UCLA. Well, he had said, you know, I have a friend named Johnny Wooden coaches at UCLA. I, I knew about UCLA, but I didn't know much about UCLA other than it was in California. You know, be, being in the, the Midwest or the East, you know, you get information like a day late. And so trying to understand what that program was all about, I had no information. I had an uncle who lived in California. I'd never been to California. So I said, great not knowing if anything was going to happen. Within a, a week, a week's time, I got a letter from Jerry Norman and Coach Wooden inviting me out to California to, to visit the campus. Now, it took place in March, the, the, the latter part of March. We still had snow on the ground. You know, you grew up in the, in the east, and you know winter can, can last all the way through March sometimes. And so we still had snow on the ground, so I literally had a – a stocking hat. I had an overcoat. I was like, I was getting ready to take a trip to Alaska. And I'm on the plane and I get off the plane at the Los Angeles terminal and this heat hit me. Now I'm 18 years old, but really naive. All I could think about is how in the world could the temperature in South Bend, Indiana be 20 degrees or whatever it was 
snow on the ground? And how is it possible for there not to be snow and it's sunny and hot in California? I literally said to myself, this is where I want to go to school. I hadn't been to the campus, hadn't met Coach Wooden. And in fact, he wasn't even at the airport. It was uh, Kenny Washington and, and Jerry Norman. So we're going down the freeway, the 405. You know, again, this is ni- 1964. And so a lot of the, the areas along the 405 was not developed. They're just fields of orange groves. And I'm, I'm looking at these oranges growing on these trees. And all I could think about was in South Bend, oranges come to us in crates coming from Florida. I mean, this, this is the honest to God truth. I'm like, my mind is blown. Uh, and so we, we end up getting to the campus and uh, Kenny Washington shows me around the school. Nobody's on campus. It's probably one of the worst trips I ever had. I meet Coach Wooden who does not make me not one promise, which other schools had done, even though we couldn't start as freshmen on the varsity. You know, I was being promised that when you get to be a sophomore, you're going to start. I'm in, in his office and we talk about mutual friends. I, you know, I literally went to high school with the children of men who played for Coach Wooden in high school at South Bend Central. Now, my high school coach, my junior high school coach, were both players who played for Wooden at South Bend Central and at Indiana State. As it turned out, the gentleman who talked to me about UCLA, Walt Kendi, had been Wooden's very first assistant. In fact, later on, Wooden told me that he was a guy who knew more about basketball than Wooden did at that time. In fact, Mr. Kendi is in the Indiana Hall of Fame as a basketball coach. He kept stats for us when we would go on the road or, or any of our home games. So I only knew him as a geometry teacher and a stat man, but a really fine person. And so I'm sitting across the desk from Coach Wooden, and he lays out the plans for Pauley Pavilion. Now, this is a state-of-the-art pavilion. Up until then, UCLA had been playing their home games at the gym for freshmen had been playing the games at, at, at uh, the UCLA gym. And they would play at, at the sports arena uh, that was on the campus, USC. They were playing all over the place. And it, the facilities were incredible. And he said, you would not only get a great education here at UCLA, but you will play every home game in this facility. I was sold. But he didn't know I was sold when I got off the plane. So when I got back to, to South Bend, or which, by the way, was a, from Chicago, you know, from going from Chicago, from South Bend to, to Los Angeles, you had to fly to Chicago, take another flight, transfer, and then fly to, to Los Angeles. Well, from Chicago to South Bend, my seat partner was Johnny D, who happened to be the UCLA, I mean, the, the Notre Dame basketball coach. Now, many years later, I knew that wasn't a coincidence. When I, at 18, I thought, man, this is kind of, isn't this weird that this guy would be sitting next to me. And for that little short flight, all he did was quiz me about my trip to UCLA. And he would say things like, you know, I know your parents have been watching you play since you were in elementary school. 
So if you go to a place like UCLA, they won't get a chance to see you. You know, he was giving me his pitch. When I saw my coach, I said, you know, I don't know if UCLA wants me, but if they don't, there is USC, there is Cal State. I named all these <laughs> California schools. And I said, you know, I just want to go to California. And he said, uh, you know, if you don't play for Johnny Wooden, you're not going to go to California. Now, many years later, Jed, you know, you being a, a, a great recruiter, and I, I'm thinking to myself, now, how can this guy, my high school coach, how can he tell me where I'm going to go to school? You know, but he was an adult, you know, and he was, uh, uh, you know, someone I listened to, I was close to. And so I just uh, assumed that, yeah, he's right, that if I don't go to UCLA, I won't go to California. But as it turned out, it, it worked out. You go out there. You can't play your freshman year. How do you end up winning the starting position? What's that like, the competition, your sophomore season? Well, I couldn't play on the varsity, but right. but one of the great things back then, and, and I think it's, it's sorely missed now, is that but you had your own teams and you played against junior colleges, you played against other freshman teams. So you had a real season. You got a chance to get acclimated to college life. and you got a chance to learn the system. Nowadays, players come in as a freshman, and there's a lot of pressure, not only on the player, but also on the coach. You know, coaches have to win games, and, and having to depend on freshmen is a dicey situation. For me, it was the best thing. I started on the freshman team, point guard. Back then, we were called playmakers, which is, I think is a better description of what that position really does. I don't know what point guard means. If you're in the military, the point guy is the first guy to get shot. So, but in, in basketball, I don't, that doesn't describe, but if you say playmaker, then that really describes what that, that position is supposed to be about. You know, you make plays for other players as well as yourself. And so as, you know, as a freshman, uh, we, we had a season you know, I was captain of the team. And uh, so when I moved up, I, I was able to you know, make that transition fairly easy. But a, a strange thing happened, Jed. My roommate as a sophomore was Freddie Goss. Freddie Goss had played on the championship team as an off guard, playing with Goodrich in 1964-65 season. And now we're talking about the 65-66 season. So about two or three o'clock in the morning, Freddie wakes up, wakes me up screaming. I mean, a, a, a fever pitch scream that I'd never heard before and never heard since. It, it was the scariest thing I'd ever heard. He was complaining of abdominal pains. And, and so I, I had to, to call, couldn't call directly to Back then, it's 911. I don't think we even had 911. So I called the front desk. They called the, the ambulance, and um, uh, they came and they took Freddie to the hospital. And, you know, for, for months, he, he, didn't, he didn't play. And I started, and I, and I, I felt badly uh, because here was my roommate, and I, I'm thinking that if he hadn't gotten sick in the middle of the night and they never found out what was wrong with him. 
hadn't gotten sick, I never would have would have started. So I think I was a either my junior or senior year. I, I talked to Wooden about this, and uh, I said, "You know, Coach, it, it was a horrible evening. Uh, I, I didn't sleep the rest of the evening because I was so worried about Freddie." And then he didn't show up for practice, you know, many weeks later. And uh, I would go and visit him in the hospital and, and uh, the doctors never figured out what was wrong with him. And I said, I always felt guilty because I, I, I you know, I felt like I took his starting role. And he said, you know, um, I think I would have found a place for you to play, even if he had been all right, you know, and, and that, uh, that rid me of a lot of, a lot of guilt because um, I really thought that had he not not gotten sick, that I probably wouldn't have played as much. Because so I started every game that year. I started every game my, my junior year and every game my my senior year. Never lost a game in Pauly. It was a, a great place for me to have gone. I can't, I can't think of any other place where I would have fit in as well as I did at UCLA. Mike, you also brought leadership. You're your class president and you're the only two-time captain at, at UCLA. I mean, there was something that, that Coach Wooden and your teammates thought about the way you could enable people. I mean, just like your communication skills, your empathy skills, any specific aspects that helped develop you as this incredible leader? I mean, I th thank you very much for saying that. Um... I was class president in high school, not at, not in college. Right. I think the fact that that the coaches that I had going all about all the way back to when I was in the third grade, I played on the sixth grade team. Let me back up a little bit. Let me give you a little a little history. When I was, um, I grew up in the in the projects, and it was predominantly ninety nine point nine percent black. And when I was when I finished my second grade we moved to an area that was predominantly white like we had one street about two blocks over that was that was about two blocks long that was all black now we were i think the only black family if there had been one of the black family was it was a, a family a husband and a wife didn't have any children who was several blocks down from where we lived it was kind of like the country it was very woodsy it was uh, away from where I grew up on, you know, in, in the project area, my mother cried every day, hating to leave this, this area it was like this village. And now we were kind of on our own. And so the very first white guy that I met a man who saw the promise that I had as, as a basketball player was my physical ed teacher. His name was Paul Sloan and the basketball coach. What that did is that he put a lot of responsibility on me as a third grader on the sixth grade team. And, and so I learned the system. And then as I moved, as I progressed to move through junior high school, I meet a guy who played for Wooden. So I kind of was taught early on the basics, the fundamentals that, that are crucial to, you know, to any, any sport or any, any job, any walk of life, you, you know, you've got to learn the fundamentals. And so I think having, having a responsibility at a young age, it gave me that ability to, to lead. 
Now, I was not a vocal person where I would get on a player and, you know, and do all of that. I, I really led by example. And, and, and I guess because I had been the best player, leading by example was the best teacher. Now, obviously, I wasn't the best player at UCLA, um, particularly when, when, when Lou Alcindor, now Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Lucius Allen started to play. But I had the experience that they didn't have. And plus, I had the ball, what, 85% of the time. I really led by example. I, I knew and understood Coach Wooden's style of play. Uh, uh, backwards and forwards, and he trusted me. You know, he was the kind of guy that wasn't standing up on the sidelines trying to tell you what to do, tell you what plays to run. I, I don't know if I could have flourished under a system where a coach is, is screaming in my ear what to run. Isn't that what practices are for? And so, you know, I, I had the discipline. I worked hard. And I just understood the team game. And I understood, maybe through osmosis, that when you get a player like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar playing alongside of you, you've got to make sacrifices. So players saw those things that I did. And, you know, as I'm directing players to go wherever they're supposed to go, then uh, they followed. Uh, but again, I wasn't the kind of guy that would, would yell and shout and scream and that's just not my personality so I, I kind of led by by example you maintain this incredible relationship with coach wooden his entire life what was it from your perspective that allowed him to have the success now you had tremendous talent what about his his values and his coaching system that you thought really distinguished him from other coaches and other leaders well, you know, you, you've been a, a former coach, Jed. You know, coaches are, are, are psychologists, you know, and, and he, he was one of the best. Not only did, did we ad, admire, uh, although that word probably didn't enter our vocabulary as 18, 19, 20-21-year-old 20, men. We admired his, his, his coaching ability, but I, I don't know how much, how many of us really thought about him as as a as a person you know because we had our own lives we were all trying to grow up as men I always tell the story that at 18 I, I left my parents who had seen me play every single game from the time I was a, a third grader all the way through high school every single home game and some of those games they traveled on the on the road I, I left home not necessarily to get away from my parents because I, I loved them and, and appreciated everything they did for me. And I went thousands of miles away and ran smack dab into a guy who was just like my parents in terms of principles and, and values. And, and, and so with, with Coach Wooden, I think he, number one, was a, a supreme psychologist. And I, I always thought he was fair, you know, and, and, and maybe that was because I started every game. I, you know, I don't know if guys who sat on the bench felt the same way. You know, because bench players have have a different perspective of of a head coach than than starters do. But I always thought he was fair. He was a guy who paid particular attention to detail. He ran the plays himself. He would he would 
be not only instructing, but he would also be the point guard or, or, the, or the playmaker who would run through a play and show us how it was done. You know, at that time, he was like in his 50s. So he was in great shape. You know, so many times, Jed, I don't know if it's for you, if you, if you feel this way, but you have to get some kind of distance, a perspective. When you're going through things, it's really hard to, to judge or evaluate what you're going through, you know. Uh, and so when you get, get some distance, in particular when you become an adult and you have children, that really gives you an accurate perspective. It wasn't until really that I got out of UCLA that I, I forged a real strong relationship with him. I mean, there were a number of years where I didn't see him at all. And I, I, I just, I, for whatever reason, reconnected with him. And I would say for the maybe the last 25 to 30 years is when we really became close friends where, you know, I would go to his apartment and sit in and discuss, discuss games. Two funny things. Um, I remember sitting in his, um, his uh, I call it a rec room, but his office. Now I can remember some of those times we were there together. <laughs> yes. And, and, but this time I was just the two of us and we were watching a football game. A player made a great defensive play. And I, you know, it was a UCLA, probably UCLA against SC. And I'm jumping up and down. I'm like, man, did you see that play, coach? That was a great play. I can't believe he did that. And he was just stoic. And he, and he looks at me and he says, well, wasn't that was what he was supposed to do? <laughs> and I thought about it and I said, uh, yeah, that was, he was just doing his job. He said, you know, we all have jobs to do when we're playing. And if you do your job, you don't have to celebrate for just doing your job. Secondly, I, I, I was, this is long after I played and we were having lunch and I said, coach, why didn't we ever run the stairs? You know, cause you, you, you see a lot of coaches, basketball coaches, having players run the stairs, running cross country courses and, and doing all these things. And I said, why, why didn't we run the, you know, the Ducky Drake stadium stairs, you know, that's just right across the, the way from where we were practicing. It was simple to, you know, take the players out and, and just go run the stairs. You know what he said to me, Jed? He asked me a question. Do you know what that question would be? When do you ever run the stairs playing a basketball game? Almost. He said, are there any stairs on the court? <laughs> and he said, you know, in basketball, you're, you're running spurts. 10 to 20 yards, but you're not running, you know, it's not like you're running a, a, a cross country course. So you have to be in shape to run those quick spurts. So we did a lot of, you know, uh, probably 30 or 40 yard dashes, if that, because the court is what, 94 feet. Yeah. So um, I, I think that one of the things that I admire most about him was there were several things his brain he was the smartest guy I ever met next to you I mean you 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 are uh, <laughs> no seriously you, you are extremely intelligent really smart uh, you pay close attention to details when you're coaching uh, when you're instructing you know it's all about 
details with you too. And, and with Wooden, he was just, he was a philosopher. He was a great family man, which I really appreciated, particularly when I started having my family. My, my parents were family oriented. When you get so many talented players, you know, as a coach, you're not going to be able to play everybody. And so you, you, you can't have players sulking. You can't have cancers developing on your team. So somehow he was able to do that. And I think one of the best, best ways was that he was not afraid to sit his, his star player down. I mean, there was never, I mean, I can remember many a times that he would say, you know, if you're not, don't do what I want you to do, then you'll have the best seat in the house right next to me <laughs> on that bench, you know, and, you know, we, we know stories. I know you know the stories about Bill Walton with his hair and not, you know, uh, re refusing initially to, to cut his hair because that was the style. And Coach Wooden, you know, said, if, well, if you don't have your hair cut by such and such a time, I'd be more than happy to make those phone calls to other coaches where you can be transfer out. And I remember asking him, I said, Coach, would you really have, have benched or, or made Bill Walton or Sidney Wicks, because that was also a, a, a similar story that was, that was really good. Would you have had made them transfer out of the school? He said, well, it wasn't so much whether I would or wouldn't have, but they believed that I would have. And so I never really needed to do that. Uh, he had a great sense of humor. He loved to tell jokes. Um, and I, I think having been a player and a very successful player, as you know, he was a uh, three-time All-American, academic All-American, uh, uh, a, a tremendous player. He won at all levels, having played the game and, and, and knowing how to instruct the game. And, and plus, you know, he, he played the style, he coached the style of play that we wanted to play, which was up and down. You know, it wasn't like freewheeling like you would play on a freewheeling like he would play on on a playground but he fast break he pressed all over the court and so he he made it fun practices were probably harder than some of the games uh, just a great teacher a great man i have the utmost I still have the, the utmost respect for him and uh i i, I was uh, i was crushed when he died it was it was like losing a real real close friend when you transition out of being an athlete, you go into the profession as an actor, and you end up being on an award-winning series, Hill Street Blues, where you're playing a police officer uh, with an unbelievable cast and with a, a director that is world-class in terms of how he did things. So I want to talk a little bit about what it was like, the teamwork of the cast, and then how Botchko uh, related as a, a potential coach and how you'd compare him to John Wooden. Bosco uh, was the executive producer. He was uh, uh, the creator of the show. Uh, uh, interesting story. I, I met Stephen by way of a show I had done um, called Paris. And uh, it starred James Earl Jones. And Paris... Uh, was a detective show. 
And in that show, I mean, I was so excited to 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 have uh, been given an opportunity to work with with uh, James Earl Jones. And in television, when you when you're doing a, a a television series, generally the first year you establish the the lead character, the star of the show, which was was James Earl Jones. And so we never got into a second season. <clears throat> got canceled after I think about 11 shows. And I, I remember being really dejected because I, I never got a chance to really have a scene with Jer with, with James, who, who, by the way, was a tremendous uh, actor, but a, an even better human being. And so I'm walking across the lot at CBS Studio City out in uh, Studio City at Radford. And I see Stephen Botchko. He, he walks over to me and he apologizes, which is, I didn't even know what he was apologizing for initially, but he was apologizing that the series didn't, didn't last and that I hadn't, it was almost like he was inside my head and I hadn't, you know, been given very much to do. And he said, but I'm, I'm working on a show, on a, a new series, the cop series uh, called Hill Street Blues. And I, I think there's a part in there, if you would like it, that, you know, I think it would be great for. I had reservations, you know, I read the script. Now, instead of there being like maybe four or five characters in Paris, there are maybe 10 characters in Hill Street. And I'm thinking, man, I'm gonna get lost again, you know, but, but the script, Jed, was so good that the only thing I could think of is that this was too good for television. Now, I, I know I've gone away from your question of, of, of Bosco, the comparison between the two. Well, one of the great things that, that athletics did for me and, and making a transition from the field of sports to the entertainment field was that I saw it as, as, a, as another team. You know, when you're on a set, you don't have maybe 10 or 12 teammates. You've got 300, 350, because there, there are tons of people that the audience never see who are behind the scenes that are up in offices, you know? And, and so I saw it as a team and with no one person being any better than the next. That aspect made it very, very easy for me to make that transition. And Bosco, like Wooden, was very fair. I mean, he had an open door policy. If you didn't agree with this, you know, something that was written, and if you wanted to discuss it, then you could go in and discuss it. He had that open door policy, and Wooden had the same thing. Now, didn't mean that you were going to get what you wanted, but you were going to be heard. And that was really important. He, he ran a, a tight ship. But he made things fun. You know, he would come down the set and, and, you know, he wasn't someone sitting up in that ivory tower that you couldn't relate to, that you couldn't, that you didn't have access to. He was like one of the guys, you know, and, and he would joke and had a great sense of humor. And so his leadership ability was, was very, very similar. You know, uh, I don't know what he was like with his writers, which is a different kind of, of, uh, uh, of setting. 
you know, just like I don't know what coach was like with with when he would have his private private meetings with his coaches. You know, if he was, you know, a strict disciplinarian with them uh, as he was with us, you know, how much I know Wooden didn't want yes, yes people. And, and Bosco was the same way. He didn't want someone just agreeing with him just to agree. He wanted resistance because that's where creativity really develops. I think they were very similar in that they tackled the job with great discipline. Bochco was extremely smart. He was very creative. Uh, wouldn't, I think, too, was creative up to, a, up to a point. You know, he would develop an offense, but he allowed you create, you know, a certain amount of creativity to go outside of that offense when you saw fit. Now, if you went outside of that, that offense to do something, then it better it worked. You know, you better just be freelancing for the sake of freelancing. I think they were both great taskmasters, but they gave you latitude to to create. You talk about creativity. Now, in this part of uh, your career, you've taken up photography. You've developed another business that is trying to take off. You've had some showings and so forth. Talk a little bit about what you, how you're using your creativity and, and some of the things you've had innately to, to make this new venture work? Well, you know, I've, I've been shooting photographs for a very long time, going all the way back to college. Uh, but I, I was primarily, you know, shooting friends. And, and then um, when I started a family, uh, I would shoot my family, my, my, um, uh, Side gig when I when I had a family was was going out shooting portfolios or, or headshots for actors and and actresses and 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 so it, it really was not a business although I had a, a photograph that appeared in the L.A. Times of the of the Jacksons that I shot wow. and, and uh, they gave me a byline I had pictures of Liza Minnelli and Quincy Jones with with Roberta Flack. I mean, I even have pictures of Jimi Hendrix that people have never even seen. There was, when my, my first wife and I separated and, and I moved into a, a, a condominium, uh, my, my cameras were stolen by, believe it or not, a, a father and a son team. I mean, it was, uh, it was crazy. I, I could not believe that a father would be out robbing people with his son, you know, um, in any event, that's a whole nother side story, but they had stolen my cameras, all my UCLA memorabilia and rings, championship rings. But, uh, you know, as good luck would have it, they caught the guys and the guys sold my cameras and, and all the video equipment that was still in brand new boxes, but they couldn't, they couldn't pawn or sell the, the UCLA memorabilia. So I was able to get my, my rings and things back, which was a real, real blessing. Um, so fast forward, the digital camera comes out and uh, I decide that I, I wanted to uh, get back into photography. So uh, I, um, I buy a camera and I'm literally coming out, and also you had the phone camera on the iPhone. 
and and, I, and I'm now taking pictures of of different things, nothing uh, nothing of consequence. But I'm walking out of this this facility uh, where I was working out. Literally, uh, a voice spoke to me. I call it God. Some people call it spirit, whatever. I I say it was God, who said, "Look up." And so I looked up, Jed, and I started noticing these incredible cloud formations and became so inspired by these cloud formations that I would go all over the city looking for cloud formations, looking for the vantage, the correct vantage point that, that it would give me the best opportunity to shoot the best shot. And as I was looking at these pictures on my computer, I always felt there was an element missing in them. And so when the Apple Pencil came out, I already had an iPad that would go along with the Apple Pencil. It allowed me to, to do detailed work. You know, I would find these applications and uh, Photoshop, and, and I started working with these, these apps that gave me an ability to create pictures that weren't just pictures. I, you know, my intentions were all along to, to create photographs that look like paintings. And, and, and some of them turned out to be just that. Now you called it a business. <laughs> I don't take my business account. We're called it a business just yet. <laughs> I definitely have sold some things, but in, in terms of, of being in, in, in the black, uh, <laughs> I'm a little ways away from that. I got this exhibition and I've been selling things. You know, startup businesses are, are hard to make successful. And uh, um, I hope to, to, you know, to continue having exhibitions. In fact, there was a, a person I'm, I'm dealing with right now who is a, a, a designer. And, you know, those are the kind of people that I, I want to meet because in, in designing uh, homes, and you know, you've got all these wall spaces. And, and uh, so my pitch is that you've got to have photographs or paintings or whatever. And, and, and when you put my, my photographs on canvases, oh my goodness, they look like paintings. I'm grateful that uh, I've been able to, you know, to do something that is creative because that's, that's a part of my brain that probably is, is turned on more so than the other side. Don't ask me to add up two plus two uh, or to conjugate a verb or something. I, I might fall short of the mark there, but, but give me something that's creative. How would our listeners, if they wanted to check your work out, where would they go to look for it? Uh, thank you for asking me that question, Jet. Um, you can find my work on Instagram under Michael Warren Photo Fantasy, but I also have a website that uh, updating daily, and that is also uh, would be www.michaelwarrenphotofantasy.com. Uh, I'm also on Facebook under Michael Warren. You know, I, I'm an old guy, Jed, and to be on all of these social platforms uh, is, is quite funny. Um, I'm only really on them just to show my art and to, and to get into intense conversations with, with formal high school buddies and friends. But uh, being in the social media, man, that, that's a crazy platform. Huh. Be off of it if you can. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. Well, hey, Mike. First of all, we've been friends. You've been probably my biggest supporter when I've gone through some really 
tough points in my life and you've always been there. So again, I appreciate you taking time to visit with us today and, and sharing your path. It's uh, I've always admired not just what you've done, but you as a person and how generous you are with your time and how kind you are and the type of father and husband you've been. Oh man, I, Jed, you know, yeah, you are definitely a, a great, great friend of mine. And, and uh, one of the things I miss is spending time with you, uh, which has been prevented via COVID. And uh, it's been a real honor and a pleasure to be on your show. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Much love to you, man. You're my brother from another mother. Uh, uh, there's no question about that. And uh, uh, we don't always see eye to eye, but that's what friends are, you know. Right. I always agree. But there's so much love that I have for you in my heart, man. And uh, that will never go away. Well, works both ways. Thank you.